everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 136, a different kind of mint, recorded March 23rd, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. We've uh, talked about Mint OS a number of times this week. I've got another candy to discuss with you, and we'll get into that a little later on. But of course, the we that I refer to are myself, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox, and my good friends, Chris, the Command Line Godfather. Hey, Chris. Hey, how goes it tonight, everyone? I hope everyone had a great weekend. And Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hello, Mark, and greetings and salutations to the wonderful Element Opiates all over the place. That's two weeks in a row we've been together. It's it's Woo-hoo. some sort of record or something. Yeah, I was I was thinking on the way up, actually down, on the way down to my studio in the basement. Um yeah, I'm one of those basement dwellers. Uh that and I'm I'm just kinda tired, just in general, not of doing the show. Just you know, it's it's been really busy at work and you know, I've had a lot of stressful stuff going on. Uh personally I thought, man, I I need a break. Maybe we should just skip a couple weeks or maybe just take a month off and then i got to thinking well gosh we've missed lots of shows already anyway you know we we missed two shows i think in february i missed two shows in march so it wouldn't be right for me to take a break when we've been taking breaks it just uh, unfortunately the breaks weren't restful um but i think maybe we need to do that maybe in the summer uh we need to do a hiatus of some sort just to recharge our own batteries so listeners be prepared for that we have this is not an official pronouncement but something that i'm seriously considering uh-huh so what's going on in your lives this week gentlemen well i did a black light run last night and oh man i took a nap today that's how bad it was uh <laughs> so tell, tell me about the black light run it's indoors okay. i assume no it's outside um okay. it didn't start until eight and there was like about thirteen thousand runners there so by the time i got into line wow. and got up to the starting gate they would release um every about every couple of minutes they would release some more runners and uh so it took me over an hour uh from the time the race started to the time I got to run. And then the track was just so crowded. I wasn't going to be able to run it all straight through anyway. Um, but the track was so crowded that I had to like weave in and out of people. And so, you know, fat guys don't weave. And whenever you've been training <laughs> on a straight line treadmill, it just, it all conspired against me. So, and the race course wasn't quite five miles, but it was more about the fun. And it, we, I did it with a group of people from church. So, you know, we hung out and we enjoyed it. And, you know, as usual, the time at IHOP later was really more fun than the actual run itself. But yeah. Well, so did I'm you finish a, the race? Yeah. I mean, in, uh, you know, 35 minutes and people who had run keepers said it was only about two and three quarter miles. So it was about a little over a quarter of a mile short of a 5k so next up for me i have a zombie run next month that i'm uh, starting to look forward to now so did they just have the like the whole course lined with black lights is that the thing uh no there were these different stations that had black lights and then there was this glow powder that would kind of glow under the black lights and there were certain stations that whenever you ran through them or most people walked, you got doused with powder. So, you know, at the end, there's a lot of people with powder all over them. And then you get a powder packet that you can throw up in the air. And there was like an after party that I'm just too old to stay for. Apparently, I'm, I'm an old geezer now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, you know, it's at night and there's different places with the black lights. Um, 
that kind of show off. And of course, the, the t-shirts only go up to extra large. So I had my own t-shirt and I wasn't able to wear theirs, but you know, maybe someday I'll be able to fit into an extra large again. So it's just more of an excuse to lots of people drank. Apparently there was a lot of alcohol there. <laughs> well, so, you know, well, drinking and running apparently go together. Wait. <laughs> No. Well, drinking, drinking and, and driving and Wait, that's pulling not. off to the side to puke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody I've heard of, like, uh, you know, at the end of the Warrior Run, uh, Warrior Dash, uh, or the, oh, I forget. Uh, yeah. Anyway, at the end of them, they give you a beer. You know, it's like, congratulations, you made it without puking, here's a beer. Um, so apparently that goes to, goes together often. Uh, maybe it's so you can carb load, I don't know. Well, no, and yeah. actually, yeah, the actually, uh, zombie run, I think I'm doing, I think I get a beer at the end of it. So, yeah. you know, maybe I'll find some girl and say, hey, would you like an extra beer? I don't know, because I don't really drink. Uh, that sets pick up line, hey, baby, I don't drink. Want an extra beer? <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, nothing else has worked for me, so. <laughs> there you go. I'm glad to hear you had fun, though, Seth. Um, that's one of those things I would love to do, but there isn't anything like that in Montana that's close. So, really, there's the there's, there's nothing but dash. space to run out there. I'd be I'm surprised. <laughs> I know I am. Well, I think what it is is that there's not enough people ah. to do stuff like that. So, so they need a sheep run. We'll see. There. <laughs> one one thing that they do have up here is a. Uh, <laughs> Um, a dirty dash. So then you'll have, you know, a mud obstacle course that they, right. you donate your shoes at the end of it. So that's always fun. But, um, so far every year I've wanted to run in it. My knee has been out. And then it, the doctor says if I go running on it, that I'm just going to possibly cause more and more damage. So I have to wait till it's healed up. Maybe this year. We'll see. Yeah. I, I don't believe that the words fun and run belong together in any way. Um, it's, uh, you know, fun and torture go to, uh, run and torture go together, uh, run and late go together, uh, run and puke go together, run and fun. They, they don't belong in the same sentence. Run and pain. That one I'm, I'm good with, but not fun. You just haven't found a good one yet, Mark. I just, but part of it is my biomechanics. I'm totally screwed up. I was born with, uh, dysplastic hips and flat feet so ambulating in general yeah. walking in general is painful for me just just as as the function of my biomechanics add to that an extra couple of hundred pounds of weight and run and fun just don't belong in the same sentence for me yeah at that point yeah you're you're pretty much against the or behind the eight ball as right. you would say oh i was kept looking for a transition we never came up with one so frozen Good golly, I'm tired of that movie. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, it doesn't belong in the bad movie category. In fact, I rather liked it. it was, I enjoyed the movie uh, the first time I saw it. Even the second time I saw it, I thought it was okay. The 72nd time I saw it, it started to wear a little thin. Um, I have seen... We, we bought Frozen on the the day it came out, the whatever it was, Tuesday. They always come out. CDs and DVDs are always on Tuesday. I'm going to have to ask somebody in the industry to find out why that is. But uh, we watched it Tuesday night. We watched it uh, before I had gotten home on Wednesday. They'd watched it. We watched it again Wednesday night. Before I'd gotten home on Thursday, they'd watched it. We watched it again Thursday night. Friday night, I put my foot down and said, no. 
So we <laughs> we watched we caught up on American Idol. That was our crazy Friday night. We had homemade pizza and watched American Idol that we DVR'd. And then uh, yesterday they watched Frozen. And today when they wanted to watch Frozen, I said, "Wait a minute, come here, give me your tablet." And so <laughs> I took the tablet and I put one of my favorite new apps on it. Thanks to Chris called Plex. Plex is awesome because I don't have to watch Frozen ever again. <laughs> So I've always, yeah. I've already had uh, you know XBMC as the media center in the house, and I'm going to keep that. Plex is is clunky with a remote uh, with mouth. It's just not it's not good at, with that interface because uh, it's a web page and it's just eh. Um, but mm-hmm. what Plex gives you, as Chris had talked about a number of times, is it a built-in transcoding server. And I've got this thing running on a tiny Atom processor, a, a one gigahertz Atom processor with with two gigs of RAM, and it's fine with it. It transcodes transcodes yep. on the fly, fine with it. Um, it's I was totally blown away by that. I wasn't expecting that. Um, it doesn't eat up all my CPU. The bandwidth is fine. In fact, it's it's smart about bandwidth. It uh, it uh, adjusts bandwidth based on on how well you're taking it. So the other day at work, just for fun, I grabbed my phone, attached to the to the you know my my employer's Wi-Fi network. I popped up uh, the Avengers and was watching that on my phone during my lunch break, and it was fine. It was it was you know high def you know, on a five inch screen so they can throw out a lot of pixels and you still get good definition and it never skipped and it was awesome. And all of this uh-huh. for, for free. Uh, if you want the app, you have to, the, now they have an Android app, five, $5 in the Android store, one time fee. Uh, I did the, uh, Plex pass my Plex, whatever they call that. Um, for just one month, it's three bucks a month. I, I did it one time just to see if I like it. Frankly, not really seeing the advantage of it. The web interface is good on mobile, and that doesn't cost you anything. Uh, so it, uh, I had to to do some uh, port forwarding in my firewall because I have UPnP turned off. If you have that turned on, don't, by the way. But if you do, it configures itself automatically. Otherwise, I had to do some port forwarding, and bam, it works perfectly. And I was just blown away yep. by how well this thing worked. It's awesome. Um, uh, I've, I'm really happy with it too, Mark. Uh, and actually, I was so ecstatic with it the other day because we were over at my mom's on her Wi-Fi, and they wanted to watch one of the movies that I own through Plex. And so I attached to the Wi-Fi with the tablet or with the with their laptop, and logged in, and away it went. And I even was so happy with it that I sent them a little message. And so I'll, I'll kind of synopsize my my little tweet back and forth with them because they replied to me which surprised me i wasn't expecting a, a reply back from plex when i when i sent them the message but the and i even pointed them at our show and so they uh they actually looked at our show and either watched one or read something on it because they uh commented on uh my last tweet to them saying thank you so much and glad to hear you like bacon too <laughs> so they actually either watched the show about how much we, or they read the description. Right. So, but still, they 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 engage with their their people that are connected to them. So that's awesome. Again, if you guys are needing something like this, Plex is a nice, simple way of doing it. By the way, on the subject of bacon, it's not really bacon, and I wasn't going to talk about it, but it, you just reminded me. Um, for Christmas, my wife bought me a sausage grinding and stuffing kit. 
Uh, and I haven't had a chance to use it until this weekend. This was my first weekend off since Christmas. That's how crazy things have been. Oh, wow. So I took an eight and a half pound pork shoulder and turned it into three different varieties of sausage. Um, and that was a lot of fun if you're into that. It's like it's like the Play-Doh Fun Factory, but with meat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I made uh, I made two kinds of bulk sausage. I just made some breakfast sausage, and I made uh, some Italian uh, bulk sausage, and then I stuffed some Italian sausage um, in the casings. And I used natural casings. You know, it was, uh, it was hog intestines. Um, it's all right. They're very clean, um, and it was it was really a lot of fun. I, it, it, it took like three hours to process that uh, eight pounds of meat, um, and so f- last night we had breakfast for dinner, which is one of our favorite things to do, featuring my sausage. And uh, my wife cool. loved it. I th- I thought it was okay. I, I you know it wasn't awesome. I need to tweak the the seasoning a little bit. None of the kids would eat it. They took two of them took one bite and was done. The third one would even take a bite. It's like what what. What's the wh- why? It's so- you like sausage? Nope, won't do it. It's not the the cheap huh. stuff from the store. It doesn't have buttholes and beaks in it. They don't want it. <laughs> you should have said fine. No bacon later. <laughs> you can't eat the sausage now. You can't have the bacon for dessert. Yeah. So <laughs> bacon for dessert. I like that. So anyway, that's that's a fun thing to do. My next thing, I'm I'm going to. Uh, uh, get into some uh, cured bacon, make maybe a pepperoni. I think I'll do, and then uh, I think I'll, I want to make my own hot dogs. Kids love hot dogs. Um, there you go. And uh, so I, I may, I, I may look into that. But sausage making for fun and profit only. There's no profit. <laughs> well, there could be depending on how yeah. good you got with your making of sausage. So are you still cold brewing, Mark? Just to bring that back from the the great stuff. I do. And in fact, um, I had a. Because of my trip a couple of weeks ago to Texas, um, I had a batch of coffee. I normally brew for four days, and and I had I had experimented around and found that four days is pretty much a sweet spot. More doesn't help, less um, doesn't have the same flavor. This, because of my disruptive schedule, set for ten days, and it was bitter and not as good. So I've oh. I, I reconfirmed that four days is about the ideal, the sweet spot. Four to seven. Uh, seven, uh, I, I I did, and it didn't really notice anything. But but ten, going all the way, it, it was sat long enough to to get some of those bitter things out. But it's I'm still drinking it. It's not it's just not as good. Uh, wow. But yeah, I do once a month. I do uh, about three gallons, and that gets us through the month. And then I do some more. I haven't <laughs> uh, I haven't gone into selling it or producing it anything, largely because my you know my my personal life just got nuts. Um, but I would still like to do that, and I've had. You know, I put that question to the audience. If I made, if I sold coffee, would you buy it? And uh, one person said yes. Nobody else did. So yeah. there's not exactly a lot of pent up demand for it out there. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things I was. I'm, I've been th- kicking the idea around of trying to reproduce it to see if my wife likes it or not. But I, I just can't bring myself to purchase all the parts to to, to try it. Yeah, so uh, you know, I've always enjoyed barbecue and things like that. And I got into this. The, the before long, I'm going to have my own deli just out of stuff I made in my basement. You know, <laughs> all you need now is a slicer. I have one. Oh, you do? Yeah. I didn't know you had a big one of those. No, big, it's not a big, big rotary wheel it's a, slicer. It's a little one, but it's what I use oh. for for slicing my bacon. Yeah, I want one of those big Hobart ones. 
that would be awesome. But the one I have is little. It's it was my father in law's that he bought like in the sixties, but it still cuts like a champ. Cool. Wow, we rambled a lot. <laughs> so, yes, we uh, did. Seth, that's all right. The we all know about this scam that's going around, but uh, you have some firsthand experience with Microsoft tech support. Yes, you know I've I've seen people online, and they always say, you know, I got to call this, and I was like, why doesn't it ever happen to me? It's happened to my brother, uh, it's happened to my parents when I went at home, but I wanted to call, so finally, you know, I, I'm not doing anything, and I get a call and say, hello, we're with Microsoft Tech Support, and we've discovered errors from your computer, blah blah blah, and so, you know. I didn't know what to do. I didn't just want to hang up with him. So I decided to take the direct approach this time. And I said, Hey, I want, I was like, really? Thank you for calling me. And you know, all that. And I said, no, look, before we get going any further, I just want to let you know, I'm an IT professional with 10 year in 10 years in the field. And I'm well acquainted with this scam. You are about to run on me. Having laid that has the groundwork. Do you want me to play along? And then I didn't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently awesome. he didn't want me to play along and they just decided to hang up would be the best way to go but i was like yes i finally got called yay <laughs> um but it was fun uh huh. I, next time i think i'm gonna play along with them because apparently once they call you and they know it's a working number they keep calling back um uh, but so i'm waiting for another call uh I, i'll play along with them <laughs> I next yet, time i have yet to get a call so I I am unique. I have yet to be called. My mom, though, on the other hand, she got one of the calls, and she, of course, doesn't know much about wind- Windows or anything like that. So she was trying to do what they're saying. The problem is She's on she Linux. was running Ubuntu. <laughs> <laughs> and so she finally, after about 20 minutes, the guy said, what's... You know, he was trying to, to ask what the, what was in the corner that she clicks on for start, and it was, of course... Not a Windows button, but a Ubuntu button. And so she, the guy went, I don't know what to do for you and hung up. <laughs> and it was just, it was just hilarious when my mom was recanting the story to me. I was like, huh. <laughs> cool. So that's, that, that's, that's my fun. Now I've never had that scam, but I did, uh, I don't, don't know if you guys have experienced this. Uh, I've had the scam where the prisoners call you from, from prison and try to dupe oh, you into yep. doing long distance calls. Um, this one uh, came in from there's a, a major prison in Huntsville, Texas. This was when I was living in Texas, and they called and and the the answer, the message was in Spanish. Uh, the you have a collect call from yada yada. It was in Spanish, and then the where the guy says his name right. It's one of those things. You have a collect call from, and then they say state your name, and the guy said, uh, and it said uh, press pound six to hear this in English, um, which I thought is really clever. Except in Texas. Almost everybody speaks some Spanish, so it, probably not a good ploy to being doing that in Texas, <laughs> uh, which I, I speak Spanish fairly well, uh, so I, I knew immediately what was going on, but uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to eat the cost of this call just out of curiosity. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I did, and uh, the uh, I, the guy said he was Sergeant so-and-so of the whatever police uh force and uh, there's been an accident and one of the victims in the in the accident had this number on it he wasn't at liberty to give me any more information but if i would call back and dial extension 67395 or whatever it was then then corporal so-and-so would be able to give me the information well of course i wasn't going to do that because 
what I did was I Googled those codes, and that's the codes uh, on most uh, phone carriers to say the next call that comes in can use my phone uh, to make long-distance calls. Um, so that's what they do. They do they set that up, and then they call you back, um, collect. You answer the call, collect, and then on that collect call, they then get a dial tone and can call anywhere in the world. So they, you know, they talk to their girlfriends or their lawyers or their drug pushers or whatever uh, on your dime. Not only are you paying the long distance fees, but you're paying the collect call that could go on for you know hours at a time. So it's it's actually a fairly clever scam. Uh, so I didn't I didn't do that. A few minutes later, the guy calls back and ask if I'd done it. And I said, no. He said, well, it's really important. Um, we think this may be a family member. And I said, wait a minute, earlier <laughs> you weren't allowed to tell me any more about it. Um, now you're telling me it was a family member. Well, we, you know, we, it's just really important that you do this. <clears throat> so now I've burned two collect calls uh, on them, and, and they're not cheap. Prison collect calls are like six bucks uh, and then a dollar a minute or something like that. So um, the third time he called back, I didn't answer. But the problem was he kept calling back every minute, just over and over wow. and over again. Um, so finally, I called the phone company and said, would you block this number, please, so that it just <laughs> it just can't call me anymore? And they said, yeah, we can do that. This is a known scam. What they're doing isn't illegal. They're giving you instructions to do a legal thing, and you're following those instructions. We can't stop them from doing it. It's not illegal. Wow, and I, yeah. I thought that was fascinating. It's you know it's it's defrauding, right? But they're they're not actually de- misrepresenting themselves as a mem- of somebody from the phone company or, or anything like that. It's they're lying to you, and their lying is is bad. But it's there's no law against lying right. to another person, right? So that was interesting. That was that was my only experience with a scam phone call. It cost me about twenty bucks, but I considered it entertainment fee. <laughs> Right, it's a small bear price to pay for a little little comic enjoyment. Yeah, and I got a good story out of it. But I was just curious yeah. to see how these guys run these scams. And if I'm, you know, an 85 year old woman with grandchildren all over the country, yeah, I'm I'm gonna bite on that. But me, I'm a guy with yeah. a very small family. I look around the room. Everybody I care about is here. Clearly, this isn't real because I, yeah. I don't have any family anywhere else. So I was, you know, like like your mother, they they picked the wrong guy. Uh, but I could certainly see how that scam works um, on lots of people. Oh, yeah. And then it wouldn't surprise me if they went ahead and, and were in bed with some of these 900 number people and they dialed them on your thing and got a kickback there. Um, oh, yeah. That's what I, I would see that do happening too. if I were a criminal in prison. Hey, sure. let's talk about some Linux maybe, shall we? Um, sure. Uh, unfortunately, our first listener feedback isn't about linux but that's all right it's from a listener and so that makes it okay soul score uh writes in uh, about uh, uh chris's experience a little later on with trying to find the right earlier on with, with trying to find the right driver he says sorry i haven't written in a while but i thought uh in the last episode i could help with the windows driver issue try driver pack my shop has been using it for about two years now without issues except the sound drivers are a bit flaky on windows 7 if you want you can extract the iso and delete the software inside with a little know-how thanks love the show and the website is drp.su uh, have you guys ever used any of that no i haven't I, not neither have i now we i have used it and we actually recommended it on a uh, um 
uh, Taiwa Tech Show uh, a couple years ago. And it's 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 Russian, so it's a little disconcerting, um, you know, because Russians don't have the best uh, track record with internet safety. Uh, but it's it seems to be totally on the up and up. I first tried it on a sandbox system just to make sure, and the initial dialog boxes that come up are in Russian with just an OK button. So you never really know what you're saying OK to. But I vetted it and and I believed in it enough to rec- uh, recommend it. What this guy does is. He gathers every known driver and out there and puts it on a DVD, and it's a full huh. seven gig DVD. Um, and it's he goes all the way back to Windows ninety eight on this thing, and so the wow. odds of you having a uh, a driver that he doesn't have are very slim. Uh, I've I've thrown that thing on anything, and it auto detects it. It'll scan through your system and and see what you've got, uh, and and if it doesn't have it on the DVD, it'll s- send you a link to the website. And most of the time, it's on one of those two things. I've actually, all the time in my experience, I've never found one where they just didn't have the driver. Uh, so drp.su, wow. uh, that doesn't sound right. I think it's ru, drp.su. Okay, yeah, so he he just got that. So it's driver pack solutions, and so you got the su for solution, I guess. Um, seems a little scammy, but... I think it's solid, and our friend Soul Score does too. So, uh, not Linuxy, but a lot of the guys who listen to the show uh, work on Windows for a living. So, there you go. DRP.su. Driver but it solution. is open source, so it's okay. I just went to the website, <laughs> and it says price free, and in parentheses, it says open source. So, you know, there you go. Yeah, which. Very interesting, huh? Yeah, somebody needs oh, to make an English version of it then. If it's open source, just change those language files, guys. It's it's very disconcerting to have a, a message bar in Russian with nothing but an OK button. <laughs> you click OK. Yeah. <laughs> you have cash? Good. Okay, moving right along we, in the listener feedback. make great firewall. <laughs> um, uh, Randy uh, offers an alternative solution to Siri. We, you guys were talking about this, I think, one of the weeks I wasn't here. Uh, he says, I'm a couple of weeks behind in my listening, and I've just heard episode 132. I've been using an app called Assistant by Speak to It in the Play Store. It's infinity better than anything else I've seen. You can have conversations with your assistant. It's pretty customizable. Give it a try. So I did give it a try. I downloaded it. I played with it. Um, I wasn't terribly impressed with it. On um, my maybe maybe he's got an older phone on my Google Nexus Five with Google Now. I didn't see any it, thing that this could do that Google Now can't, other than have a little more personality. You can name your device, and you can speak to it. You know, I called mine Andrea, Andrea the Android, and so you can say, <laughs> "Hey Andrea," and she she says, "How can I help you?" And you can it's very natural language. But if you've got an older phone. Um, I think it would be really good. My complaint about it was the the voice recognition was slow in recognizing that you weren't talking anymore. Uh, that's it, it seemed at first that it was just really, really slow, and then I realized it just think it's still listening. So right. if you just start talking, there will be like a 35 or 40 second gap before it does something, and, and it seems like it's slow to do the translation, whereas Google Now is instant. But if as soon as you finish topping, talking, you turn the mic off, she processes it instantly, and I say she because the the assistant icon is is a female. Um, and the the app is free. You can download different personalities and different voices the, for a fee. 
Uh, so it's kind of a neat thing, but you can say things like, um, I, I asked, what's the weather look like next week? And it brought up not only the, the forecast, but read every day uh, of the forecast to me. Uh, so it's a little more oh. interactive than, than the Google Voice uh, stuff is. Um, and so check it out. Uh, Assistant, that's all it's called, uh, by Speak to It. Oh, yeah. We were talking about um, Microsoft was going to be using some of the Cortana they were their AI was going to be like Cortana from Halo. I remember talking about that. Right. Yep. Yep. And and you started talking about time tracks. I, I I remember listening to that one. Yes. Underrated. Selma show. wasn't it? I think that was her name. Um, little credit Selma. card size. Yeah. All right. Joe wrote in a couple of weeks ago uh, <clears throat> with something that we teased before a new. Perhaps king of the bad movies, at least until Kung Fury comes out. Um, <laughs> Joe says, I present you with a gem in the bad movie category. I found Super Cyclone starring Ming-Na on Netflix. It's gloriously terrible. What it lacks in bad special effects sharks, it more than makes up for in terrible writing, casting, editing, props, and acting. It's awful in the best way. I'm impressed that the actors could not only get the dialogue out without laughing, but they delivered the lines with a level of cheese that made it seem to be believed, must be seen to be believed. True professionals. There's much to love here, and there are a few more comical observations. Cutaway scene of Doppler radar is clearly Florida instead of Southern California. Helicopter seats are plywood painted black with seat belts attached. Just check out the helicopter scenes. Flaming hail. Need I say more? During a cataclysmic <laughs> storm, some of the outside seats are very windy. The next scene will be sunny with no wind at all. That was true in Sharknado, too driving scene outside scenes are of a smooth road inside the truck two guys are bouncing around like rag dolls boat captain steers the vessel of a wooden ship's wheel on the deck of the boat and boy does he does does his acting really sell the sea captain persona group commanders uh, commandeers truck from a guy that lives in a shack a little larger than his body car starts <laughs> off clean but is instantly covered with mud without leaving the pavement <clears throat> Guys, this awesome. movie is awesome. I think it's better than Sharknado because much like a train wreck, I couldn't look away. I was captivated in a way that Sharknado wasn't. Uh, it, excuse me. It was captivating in a way that Sharknado wasn't. If there were awards for non-achievement for, or bad movies, Super Cyclone would certainly be nominated. And I'd be surprised if it wasn't the favorite to take home the Golden Turd Award. Please excuse my potty <laughs> mouth. Watch it. If you could sit through and appreciate Sharknado, you'll like Super Cyclone even more. I haven't had a chance to watch it because my TV's been full of Frozen, uh, but I will definitely be checking that one out. Yeah, it's gonna. It's in my queue. I just haven't got to it yet. Um, I'm waiting to see what else comes out of this and see if anyone else likes this one as much as Joe does. Seth, you have a weird look on your face. Are you watching it right now? No, I'm I'm like it got a sixty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh that's actually pretty rating, high. Yeah, user rating of forty nine. So people must huh. have enjoyed the cheese. I, I'm trying to see if I can find it right now. Um oh, trying to see it somewhere other than Netflix? Yeah. Cause you know, I, I don't I can't do Netflix at home. It's on Redbox. Um So yeah. Joe Joe recommends it and uh that's all I have to say. I will definitely be checking. Ming Na is is a favorite. Um, most recently, she's a, a leather clad super warrior in the Agents of Shield. 
prior to that, she was Mulan. So she's she's had a varied career. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, nothing wrong with a varied career. All right, and then our listener Merrick uh, presents the paper tablet. He says, uh, quote, not sure if it runs Linux, but it's cool. Paper Tab, the world's first paper tablet PC. Um, and then he says, could you recommend any good paper or online magazines for Linux users? So there's a question for you guys. Thanks for a great pad- podcast. I've listened to 80 episodes so far. Keep up the good work. And there's a YouTube video of this thing that is clearly um, in the early beta stages. I mean, this thing is oh, yeah. not functional in any way. Um but it certainly looks very cool. Uh, it's uh, e-ink on flexible paper, and the way you turn the page is by dog-earing the page, which is kind of cool. Um, and it even showed a video, which a video on 8-bit e-ink is laughable, but apparently it can do it. You lay two pieces side by side, and the screen spreads out across them. Uh, so if this thing ever gets out of the lab, which is where it is right now, obviously, um, it will be very cool. It's touch sensitive. This first EE screen I've ever seen that's touch sensitive. Um, and uh, it, it looks very cool, or at least it, it might in the future be very cool. Yeah. It's very interesting. To I'm watching the video as you're talking, Mark. It's really cool. I wouldn't mind seeing this you know, actually take off, but I don't know if that's going to be in you know five years or 100 years because that's pretty crazy. Yeah, right now it's 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 all connected via cables. Each piece of paper has two ribbon cables connected to it, and it has to be on a particular table, which is uh, recognizes the the spaces of the thing. So, like when you push a piece of paper outside of your reach, it like goes dormant. Uh, so it's right now it's it's got all kinds of of impracticalities to it, but it's a neat idea. Well, apparently they oh, had at least something at CES 2013. So okay. um, I, I don't know. You figure if, if they would have had it there, it would be out by now. Um, Unless it was really early beta. Yeah. If it was really early beta, they're looking for funding, and that's why they were there. Yeah, CES is not always products ready to ship. Yeah. Yeah, but that's like over a year ago. But yeah, I mean, like I, I, I would almost bet that they're looking for funding, you know, and they yeah. couldn't get enough, you know, they, they, there's not enough demand on for like a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo campaign, but they're looking for a corporate sponsor to, you know, someone had the idea and has set this stuff up, and is looking for someone to help fund to make it happen, is what I would guess. Uh, but to go on to his question. Um, paper or online magazines for Linux users. There is LinuxJournal.com. There, there's a lot out there. Uh, LinuxJournal.com is the probably premier one. Um, there is an Ubuntu one or two or twenty. Um, there's several available from the UK. Um, but I know LinuxJournal.com is like the most famous and well-known one out there. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do paper anymore, but you can subscribe online. By the way, Joe just sent me an email during the show. Um, says, really hope you all had a chance to watch Super Cyclone. I enjoyed it as much as I did. I watched it again last night. Every time I watch it, I find more solid gold. Gold. 
So <laughs> Joe is very passionate about this. Um, Obviously. Maybe I'll bump it up in my queue. Okay, so um, moving right along, Elisha uh, sends us a voicemail in reference to our discussion about what makes Linux Linux. Hi, uh, my name is Elisha. I'm a listener of the show, a uh, big fan of the show, Everyday Linux. And I was calling in response to the question, uh, what is Linux and if uh, uh, Android should be classified as Linux? Because it runs off the Linux kernel. And the reason I, I believe this is uh, the defining, in my opinion, the defining uh, characteristic of a operating system, a Linux operating system, is that it runs off the Linux kernel, not whether or not or what type of GUI it runs or what kind of programs you can install on it. Uh, another thing I think that confuses the question is the fact that Linux kernel is one of the only kernels that uh, there are multiple operating systems running off of. And if you look at what Windows runs off of, only Windows uses it, basically. So you don't have that dynamic which you have with Linux. So I think that's what brings up the question. And I think if you were to say that Android is not a Linux distribution, you would have to then separate each Linux distribution by category, such as like Ubuntu would have to have its own category and so on. So that's why I say you either have to put them all together, or you have to separate them. I think that's uh, kind of the, pro the difference with between Apple and Windows and, and Linux distributions. Well, just my two cents. Hope, uh, uh, hope you guys keep doing the show, because I enjoy it. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Elisha. Um, and there you go. So he says, anything that runs the Linux kernel is Linux. And since he agrees with me, he is obviously one of the smarter listeners to the show. <laughs> so way to go, Elisha. You're thinking along great lines. <laughs> All right. And then uh, our last bit of listener feedback for this week, we, we have a lot more, uh, at least two-thirds of it from Joe. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I you know, wanted to keep this uh, – relatively short uh and the last bit leads right into the topic of the show it says uh it's from andy it says hey guys and greetings from amsterdam i just settled down to listen to you fellers and have a cup of coffee when i heard you were going to test peppermint os4 i thought fantastic i've been using it since just before christmas of last year uh, i'd been using it as a dual boot with Crunchbang, another distro that i love what a great distro to learn on i very quickly realized that i was using peppermint os as my preferred OS, so I switched over fully. You guys are in for a real treat. This is the best mannered distro you could possibly want, in my humble opinion. Uh, you do realize that Peppermint OS 5 is being released in May or June. The, uh, that will be a long-term support version that is uh, supported until 2019. I will definitely be using Peppermint OS for the foreseeable future. Here's a link to some images of my customized LXDE Steampunk Peppermint desktop just for a laugh, and I'll put those in the show notes. I'm really looking forward to the review and the possible interview. Keep up the great work, and thanks for the show. It's always highly entertaining. Well, thanks, Andy. Um, and I will go ahead and say now what I was going to say later. I didn't get a chance to look at uh, Peppermint OS, but I do have some previous experience, so I'll be drawing on that while Chris, who actually did the work, 
will be talking about the show. And by the way, Steampunk Again. Iron Man rocks. Yeah, I, I like his desktop. I think it's a really nice, nicely well done. Um, I, I like his. I, I'm guessing that's Conky as his system uh, management thing. Yeah, I'm. I'm just reaching there because th- that's what it looks like is Conky. And props for running Spider Oak. You're like one of the few people I know that runs that program. <laughs> uh, Spider Oak is a is a like a Dropbox thing, right? Right, but they they um, it's encrypted all the way through and right. through, so they a, can't open it even if they're court ordered to. A trust no one. Uh, yep. Yes. So yeah, that's I, I like his desktop. If anything, I might steal some of the the look from it when I could spend some time to customize my layout a little bit. Okay. So that's it for our listener feedback onto the tech news. But before we do that, I think I'll go ahead and insert the ad here for the Linux Academy. Um, You know, I kind of feel like I don't have to do this ad anymore. You guys know about Linux Academy by this point, but, you know, they're paying me to do the ad. So I'll do that. LinuxAcademy.com is a place where you can go for step-by-step video courses that, that are designed to help you take you from a beginner to a Linux administrator. Now, that's a that's a big leap because anybody who's done anything with Linux will tell you there's quite a bit of a learning curve there. Not only that, but they focus heavily on the command line, which makes Chris happy. So oh, yes, that, that steepens the learning curve, but also broadens your abilities. Because uh, the command line is the command line regardless of the distro, regardless of your Windows manager, regardless of, of the flavor of Linux you're running. Um, with few variations, the command line is always the same. So that's their primary focus. Focus, focus, um, and it, and the way they do that is with over two hundred training videos uh, designed by professional, not only professional educators but also professionals in the field. So, like the guy who does their. Uh, Amazon Web Services video, for example, is an Amazon Web Services developer. And the guy that does their Linux stuff is a Linux uh, professional. So they, 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 it's real professionals offering real um, real tips and tricks. It's not just um, cookie cutter. You, I, I get that a lot in, in, in education in general, in training, tech training. You get this cookie cutter thing that's like somebody produced a lesson plan in 1996 and everybody else has been using that same lesson plan but the guys at linux academy they're they're dealing with real world stuff and they give you real world servers to do it yes i said that they give you servers they uh uh give you uh um virtual servers uh, running on amazon cloud uh so you can uh, have up to eight different distributions that you can play with one at a time um and you can w- w- follow along with the video and do the stuff on a real server and because it's virtual if you hose it you wipe it out. You restart it instantly. Uh, the the machines are practically instant on. They run on you know thousands of cores on Amazon systems, so it's way faster than anything uh, you're going to have in your house. And so that's a really good benefit. Along with that, the videos though, and the labs, they also give you PDF study guides for for references. Uh, so you you've got the text if you're a, a reader type person, and the video if you're a visual type person, and the audio, uh, and you can do it if you're a doer. So they, they hit all the learning types there. Um, they have a lesson browser uh, built into this module concept. So you take the, say, for example, the LPIC module, 
which is a real certification, and they are LPI certified trainers. So you take this module, and it walks you through step by step, taking you from not a novice, but you know a a, a Linux beginner with with previous computer experience, and it takes you through there. And by the time you finish with that. And you take the practice exam. Yes, I did say practice exam. You do that. You pass that. The system grades it for you and tells you you're good. You go take your LPI exam, and you're going to pass it. Now, they don't guarantee it, but I'll guarantee it because they, they've done it. Uh, so many people have done it. In fact, currently they have a 100% success rate. Everybody who's done the LPIC class has passed the LPIC certification, and that's one of those things you can stick on your resume. I am now a certified Linux professional. Uh, and you get all this stuff for just a, a pittance, uh, if you want to try it out, if you're not sure that you want to commit to it, pay them a dollar. Dollar just says, hey, I'm serious. I've got a credit card and I mean business. So for a dollar, you get 14 days to, to look around, to look at videos, to look at PDFs, to do what you want. 14 days of, of, of trialing. And, and when you're done, and I know you're going to be done. They have three different pricing models to choose from. If you want to pay month to month, if you're not sure that you're going to stick with them long term, 25 bucks a month. That's a bargain for any online uh, training, period. But if you want to take a bigger chunk, you can get that down to $20 a month if you pay six months in advance. Um, and then if you want to go even more, if you pay annually, it's only $19 a month. $19 a month for some of the highest quality online education you're going to get anywhere. Um, so when you get there, use the code Everyday Linux when you sign up. And also, you'll see there that they've got this new thing going on where they are uh, have these interactive lab sessions where uh, you don't just get the uh, the single server to play with, but you get to fire up two servers at a time and, and deal with the, the networking between them and, and see how setting up file shares work and see how uh, setting up uh, web servers work. Uh, and that's an additional fee. You have to be a member first and then you find, sign up for that. And I'll, I'll leave that to the website, uh, let you go there and, and explore it. But there's definitely, it's definitely worth the extra fee if you really want to take that step and learn how to network Linux boxes. Not just how to use them, but how to make them talk with one another. And when you go there, use the code Everyday Linux to let them know that we sent you. And wow, it's worth now, every how, penny. How much did um, you I'll say that cost, I'll step up and Mark? say that, no problem. The most you'll ever pay is $25 a month. Wow, because while you were talking, I went out to the website or just to the internet in general and I Googled Linux training and I came across a website that for $99 a month, um, gives you access to videos, uh, that you can download. And if you pay a thousand dollars for a year, they give you lab access. So, um, a thousand dollars a year versus $25 a month. Um, hmm, that sounds like you might have a winner there. <laughs> well, let's see. It it goes even less than that. If you pay for a year, it's only nineteen dollars a month. Wow! So, uh, so. what is that? Uh, Two hundred and twenty six. I'm bad at math in my head, but uh, nineteen times twelve is going to be somewhere on the order of two eighteen, two twenty, something like that. Yeah. Um, one ninety plus thirty eight, so one twenty eight. I think two twenty eight. So, two, yeah, two twenty eight. So two twenty eight is a lot less than nine hundred ninety nine dollars. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah. So you can you can uh you can take your savings to the bank. And I promise you, it's inexpensive, but it's not cheap. Right. And and worth every penny. All right. So now we'll jump back up and look at some of the news that Seth has gathered for us this week, uh, beginning with uh, the good old games our friends are bringing even more games to Linux. 
Yeah, Chris, I'll let you take care of this one since you actually went out and got this story. Yeah, I got this one, Mark. Ha ha. (laughs) So this is a post over on Oh My God Ubuntu saying that the good old games people over at good old GOG dot com has announced that they're going to start bringing some of the games that they're that they take care of into the linux um ecosystem so um only they're they're obviously just so in case everyone didn't know uh they don't include drm so when you buy it you're you know on your honor so to speak that you're not going to give it away um but right now they really haven't said a lot of things of what's going to come out for good old games um but we're hoping they, they kind of had a, an open call saying, what do you want? And so then they were listening to the feedback. But it's an awesome thing that they're going to be bringing, they're going to be rewriting some of those games to be Linux-centric. So good for you, good old games. I hope you bring lots of good ones to us. Sweet. And, you know, you can tell by the name, good old games, that this isn't going to be, um, you know, Halo and um, Counter-Strike 74, whatever the big things are. But good old games tend to be more things like what you would play on the old Nintendo NES. Um, that well, sort of not stuff. 100%, Mark. Some of the stuff over there is fairly, you know, they're not brand new, but they're still, um, I would say, maybe last gen. So last year's stuff. Um, they, they had a couple of things. Let me pull up, uh, I'm over on my account right now. So let me see what I can bring up that are cur- more, a little more current. But some of the stuff like, uh, oh, I just, I lost my page that had a bunch of good new stuff coming out. Um, Scintillating uh, radio older. while he searches his phone. I, I know. I'm, I'm, I wish I would have kept my bookmark. I lost it. <laughs> but anyway, they had a, you know, like, uh, yeah, even those are all older ones, but like some of the Boulder Gate games are, are there. Um, God, there was one that was just, uh, it was on just in Steam as a sale in Steam. And now it's, I can't find the link for the game, but they're not, some of them are older games, obviously, you know, the late nineties, middle two thousands. And then there's some that are a little more current than that. Um, it all depends on when they put sales up and when they get new games in. But there's a lot of games here that are, you know, uh, very, very high end games when they were released. Um, the Boulders, Baldur's Gate games and the Icewind Dale and Neverwinter Night series, they were huge sellers on the 98 and 2000 platform. So th- they're, they're no, no joke games. They're just a little older. So Alan Wake, Beyond Good and Evil, Thief, you know, they have all, the, they have the, the Redneck Rampage collection, so you know they've got to be good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll move right along from here, and let's go back to school. Um, I, as you know, was uh, in education for much of my professional career. Chris still is. Seth used to be. Uh, so it's near and dear to our hearts. And we were always trying to shoehorn uh, open source into the lesson plans. And now uh, it's going at least a little bit mainstream uh, by the the courtesy of a guy by the name of Christopher Whittem. Right. He wrote a book. Um, the name of the um the book review is Linux goes to the head of the class. The actual book is 
Energizing Education Through Open Source, Using Open Source Software to Enhance Learning by Christopher Widom. So That's you know, a page turner. Yeah. With a name like that, you can tell this is something geared to educators. Um, and it's not just a yeah. lot of, oh, you should use open source because then we could all pick dandelions and play with unicorns all day. Um, but it actually <laughs> kind of goes into... Um, actual lessons and ways that you can take open source and implement it to not only save your district money, um, but give valuable, relevant skills to kids. Now, I understand that, you know, we're about educating kids and not giving them valuable skills that will be useful later in life. But with this, you can do both. Uh, Just a little bit of sarcasm there. Uh, So, yeah, it goes in (laughs) and it's just a, it's a neat thing. It's not just like, not just some open source zealot talking, but it's a reasonable, well thought out, presented in a way that educators, um, and, you know, people who are like principals and superintendents who used to be educators, but they become administrators. This is the presentation that they like to see. So you mean there it, are reasonable people in the open source computer community? I, I wasn't aware of such things. Well, I think maybe some of them got together and paid this guy to pretend like he's one. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. But with a title like that, I don't know how, you know, true he is to open source. But yeah, so it, it is designed to, um, get open source in the classroom by speaking the education language. You know, um, if, if you want to talk to a banker, you need to speak banker. If you want to talk to a teacher, you need to speak teacher. If you want to talk to an administrator, you need to speak administrator. And this is written in administrator ease. So we just want, you know, it's out there. It's pretty cool. Um, but it just, it's really neat. So I, I just think it's, you know, I'm, you know, we're, we're open source evangelists. We don't make the cut on the Linux journals, uh, you know, readers <laughs> poll, but you know, we're That's trying okay. our best to evangelize, uh, Linux and open source. So if you and know one of the someone, things, go sorry, go ahead. No, I'm done. I, I hope there is a, a title, a, uh, article, a chapter. That's the word I was looking for in the book on, uh, updating servers because it's pretty darn important as a group of crackers have started showing us. Right. Um, there is, uh, and this is kind of re- reported by Cisco. Um, they're the ones who kind of talked about this, but, uh, web servers that run long outdated versions of the Linux kernel have been attacked over the last couple of weeks. Um, and the affected servers are running the 2.6 version, which was first released in December of 2003. So we're talking 12 years ago, people. Um, you know, if these things would have been updated, they would be fine. But what happens is you go to like a school district, you know, somebody set up a web server and they forgot about it. It's still on the internet or you download a prepackaged thing and all in one solution that maybe the, the software that you're interfacing with is the latest stuff, but it's built on an old, um, kernel that is full of vulnerabilities. Um, you know, we talk about untangle a lot here, and Untangle is awesome, but it's bundled with the version of Firefox that is very old and out of date. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to use okay, Fire- understanding with the understanding that you're only using that in, uh, bundled version of Firefox to administer the local website, they don't expect you to be browsing YouTube on your okay. Untangle box using the outdated web uh, Firefox. No, I know that, but people do. 
You know, unfortunately, yeah. people, and, and the same thing here, you have this software that maybe the software that is on this server is the latest and greatest, but the server itself is running this old thing. Um, you know, it's just a vulnerability waiting to happen. So you need to update your software. You can't be security conscious and not make sure your software is updated. Uh, just kind of what I'm talking about. Okay. So, uh, okay, we'll just move right along. Welcome Egypt to the land of those embracing open source. Cool. Yeah. Um, the Ministry of Communication and Information Technology has adopted a national strategy to support the free and open source software in Egypt. Minister, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce your name, announced on past Saturday. <laughs> so um, I didn't even want to try to butcher it. But um, as stated by the ministry, objectives of the FOSS strategy are delivering knowledge to citizens at a low cost, improving the transparency of the governmental sector, supporting the development of the ICT sector, which is kind of like, you know, we would call it IT here, reducing costs on technology solutions and boosting micro and small companies. So, again, they're not like saying we're only using open source, but, again, they're saying, you know, open source makes a lot of sense, and we are going to embrace the potential of it. Um, so I, I think it's a I think it's a win, you know, good for them, uh, good for open source. And uh, just to make sure that we don't uh, get uh, too comfortable with our security, yet another um, story about Linux and botnets. Yeah, this is kind of, um, you know, I came across this article, and I don't really want to go into the article, but the title of it is Botnet of Thousands of Linux Servers Pumps Windows Desktop Malware Onto Web. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, Linux must be this unsecure piece of garbage. You should stick with Windows. Well, the news here is that there's thousands of Linux servers. If there were a thousand Windows machines that were infected, that wouldn't even be, the news would be, it wouldn't be on oh the my radar. Gosh, yeah. It only yeah. affected a thousand. This must be some crappy code. So, um, you know, it's just the security, the, the press, uh, reporters don't understand what they're talking about. So you get some, you know, Microsoft zealot reporting, uh, you know, they, they're going to write a story in such a way to bash Linux and you get some Linux zealot talking about how pathetic Microsoft is. Um, but yeah, so, you know, there's security vulnerabilities that are out there that need to be fixed. And the thing about, um, this, uh, used a rootkit that what it did was it impersonated credentials. It used stolen credentials. So it didn't use a vulnerability in the software. It just used stolen credentials. So, you know, don't make your password password. And oh, wait, wait. It gets better, Seth. I was just reading this. Okay. This, uh, this sums it up right here. With Darlaws, the name of the, the virus, uh, which tends to attack devices such as small uh, office, home office, uh, internet routers, it's one way of infection. It's one way of infection is to try 13 combinations of the default usernames and passwords on a device. If the gadget's owner has done one, done the bare minimal of security, change the blasted default user ID and or password, they can't be infected. That's it. So it's not like this is a, a, a sophisticated crack. It's just that people aren't even changing the default passwords. Yeah, and, you know, I tell the story. Um, 
I was at a friend of mine's house. He, he was living in Louisville, uh, in an apartment complex. And, you know, I don't know why he didn't want to tell me the name. His, he didn't want to tell me his uh, security key so I could get on the internet. He wanted to come type it in for me on my computer. And so while he was off doing something, I just looked up, see what else was out there. And I jumped on somebody else's Wi-Fi because at the time they didn't even. <laughs> it was just it. easier. Yeah. But in other times I've been to people's houses and their routers have been hacked or they forgot their, they don't even know how to access their router. So I was like, well, wait a minute, you have a Linksys. So, uh, I'm going to use a blank username and I'm going to use admin for the password. <laughs> Boom. I'm in. I yep. own your system, you know? And, um, uh, so yeah, change it, change, you know, like I say, and, and password is not a good password. Um, right. But yeah. I just recently updated the firmware on my little D-Link box that I was telling you about. I was, uh, I noticed that the time was off uh, on it, so I went to set the time, and the latest year I could pick was 2010. So I thought, you know, I probably need to update this firmware. Um, <laughs> so I went to the website, uh, the manufacturer's website. I got the firmware. I downloaded it. The first thing it made me do was pick a password. It wouldn't let me do anything else until I picked a password. So manufacturers are Good. getting better about that, but uh, it's still up to the individual to not be an idiot. Yeah. Cool. <sighs> it's amazing how small, how big that, that idiot pool is, though, some oh, days. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things to say is, you know, I hate stupid people. I hate it worse when I'm stupid people, because even the smartest people yep. are stupid once in a while. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. And you well, know what's also they, stupid? They, Google's pricing on web storage is stupid low. It was a terrible transition, a, but it was the best I could it, do. Yeah, that was horrible. But yeah. I couldn't believe this pricing when I saw this. Did you, have you, did you guys catch this story when yes, it went out? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so if you want a terabyte of Google storage, 100 bucks. Say, I pay $100 for Dropbox to get uh, 50 gigs. A year, I pay a hundred dollars a year for that plan. Google, hundred bucks for ten terabytes of storage. Jesus, and that's per crazy. year, right? Yeah, per year. Um, Isn't that just crazy? Two dollars for a hundred gigs. Really? What? Are you are you kidding? Yeah, and you get fifty gigs just for free, or twenty five. Uh, I think maybe they've doubled it to 15. 15. That's what it is. It's 15 and they're moving it to 25 was, was one of the things I had read that they're, they're, they're going to upgrade that uh, so that everybody gets 25. But uh, maybe that source was wrong, but for crying out loud, two bucks a month, hundred gigs, 10 bucks a month, a terabyte, hundred dollars, 10 terabytes. So I'm sorry, it's not a year, it's a month. So a hundred dollars a month. So 1200 a year, but still, for 10 terabytes? that That's nuts. What would a 10 terabyte drive cost you? Right around the same amount of money. If you bought if you bought four three terabyte drives or, or three four terabyte drives, something like that, you'd pay a, you know, $800, 900 somewhere around there. So their pricing structure is not off at all. No. No. I wish there was a way to do a monthly plan, though. I really would, or not a monthly, but a yearly. Yearly. It'd be nice to be able to say, I want to be locked into this for a year and not have the reoccurring $2 charge if I move up to a, the 100 gig plan. Yeah, but uh oh, dang. 2 bucks 2 bucks a uh, a month or $24 a year for 100 gigs. That's half the price for twice the data. So it's 25% of what I'm paying on Dropbox right now. 
Um, do you think I'm going to update my Dropbox uh, when it renew when it comes up? No, not unless they drop their prices by twenty five or seventy five percent. Yeah, that's that's going to throw all of the drive storage people under the bus right there. Google yeah. just they they, so, they just hurt everybody by doing that. So Google is the new Microsoft. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Google Microsoft is the new Skynet. Well, yeah, because, yeah, you know, Microsoft, it's just like, you know, Microsoft Internet Explorer couldn't compete with Netscape. Uh, so, oh my gosh, we, we're not as good and people aren't buying ours. Well, since nobody's buying anyway, we'll give it away. Boom. Now all of a sudden Netscape is dead and browsers are dead. Um, so I don't know. You know, I, I, I just, I, I say I hate the idea of one person owning everything, but pretty much everything I do is in Google. So. Yeah, yeah. I I drank the Google. I, I mainlined the Google Kool. I actually have a chest tube that pumps Google Kool Aid into me uh, at this point. Well, at least I'm not the only one that has the 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 Google Drive stuck right here and pumping in all the time. Although on Windows, um, the Google Drive app kind of sucks. Um, they really need to work on that. Um, and you know what? I really would love to have a Google Drive app for Linux. You know, considering I'm a Linux guy, Google's a Linux place. Why do we not have a Google Drive? I mean, really? So, you know, that's that's the reason I'm still using Dropbox is the interface is so much better. Uh, but it's hard to justify that kind of cost. Yeah. Yeah. It not not that you know, 50 bucks a year or 100 a year for 50 gigs is not unreasonable at all prior to this. Now it just became yeah. unreasonable. Google just said booyah. Um, I, you know, I did the math on that. I could buy a two terabyte drive every year for the cost that I'm paying, uh, or a, t- a one terabyte at least for the cost that I'm paying Dropbox. So what I'm paying for is their online availability. So I'm not paying for the storage. I'm paying for their their never automatic backups, never lose anything ever, access it from anywhere in the world. That's what I'm paying for. Well, Google already has that. Um, so it's it's kind of a no brainer. All right, one. Yeah, it, it, we're going to move on. One other story: um, something on the order of eighty plus percent of ATMs in the world run XP. Are they all going to be jumping to Linux? One writer questions. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I stuck this in beating the rumor mill instead of it being an actual story. But could it be that you know Linux can shoehorn into another market because it's one of those you know Microsoft is not making any money if you're running Windows XP. Actually, you're costing them money because they're delivering security updates to you and you're not getting any additional revenue. So they are very heavily touting the end of support means that Windows XP is going to be unusable and the technology people who don't know anything about a computer because they can barely turn them on are saying, it's the end of the world for Windows XP, April 8th, come April 9th, it's going to be insecure, Swiss cheese, and your computer's going to break if you don't upgrade. So um, everybody, you know, first of all, nothing really is going to happen. You know, is it possible that there's thousands of hackers with hundreds of zero-day vulnerabilities waiting to unleash them to the web the day after Microsoft uh, stops support? I mean, yeah, that's possible. But What's going to happen? Probable. Yeah, it's it's well, but you know, here's the thing: you aren't on these machines browsing the web. Uh, you know, yep. you don't, you know, with Flash and Java, 
and my search toolbar and weather bug and all this other crap on them. They're ATMs on a secure network going to a secure location. They're probably going to be pretty safe and there's no rush to panic to upgrade. But is there a, um, is there an opening for another operating system that is highly customizable and highly flexible and you can build to work specifically on ATM? You know, I'm waiting for the ATM Linux distribution, uh, you know, with, uh, <laughs> with extended servo support or something to come out to take over. Um, but yeah, so th- this article thinks that, um, ATM operators, um, I Linux has alternative to Windows XP. Um, maybe there will be some, maybe not, but you know, this could be an area where Microsoft's, uh, fear, uncertainty and doubt that they're scaring up could actually hurt them. And I don't know that they will lose, uh, at least not overnight. They're not going to lose the, uh, the dominant market position in, in, uh, ATMs, but it might start the process to whittle away some of their, uh, lead in it. You know, uh, 100% of Microsoft's uh, high, what do they call this, uh, critical security updates, and I think 80, it's in the high 80s percent of, of the important security updates that they released in 2014, excuse me, 2013, um, required user interaction. Right. So 100% of the ones that they considered critical required a person to do something. There's not going to be any user interaction on an ATM. So the card reader is the only input device in the keypad. That's all you got. And there's no way you're going to make that go to an infected website. There's no way you're going to download a specially crafted PDF file. So I don't, I don't see the big deal here. I think that the ATMs running XP are going to continue to run XP until they replace those AP, ATMs with new machines. Yeah. yeah and I guess the only, or go ahead, Chris. I was just say the only way that you could possibly get anything in those ATM type machines is a specially crafted um, credit card, something that has like a buffer overflow built into the credit cards, the swipe. That would be the only way that you could possibly do that. But I'm sure that those inputs are sanitized, so even that probably wouldn't work. Yeah, it's easy to secure, secure a single point of entry. Easier yeah. to secure a single point of entry. Yeah. Well, there's there's two things about that. Um Number one, most of the vulnerabilities for XP could have been mitigated if you weren't running his administrator. Um, if you were yes. logged in as a regular user and the ATM account is not an administrator account, they fixed that a long time ago. Um, so most of the security vulnerabilities are not going to affect it. But the second thing, um, there are ways around that. Um, you know, I used to work for a company that went out and repaired stuff and you, you know, and the, the readers they put at Walmart, there was a special thing you could do on the touch screen that would open up a mode to where you could, you know, I don't remember everything you could do, but you could like turn it off. You could reset it. You could put it into diagnostics. And I, well, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I wouldn't say if I did, but you could do this special set of inputs on it to bring up a mode. And I'm sure there is something like that, you know, and just an example, if you press one seven times in a row, you know, you get, uh, you get a long on screen. Now I'm sure it's not one seven times in a row. I just made that up. Um, but there are ways around that. So, and in everybody knows that, but I don't know what they are. So I just wanted to throw that out there. 
I don't know why I wanted to throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I'm not pro Windows XP. If you're still using Windows XP, stop it. Uh, just because seven is so much better. Yes. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm anti stupidity. This, this smacks of Y2K again. You know, yep. it's just, it's an opportunity to manufacture, uh, a crisis and it's just dumb and stop being dumb. Um, and we'll move on to this week in history, uh, where Intel did something pivotal. March 22nd, 1993. So over 20 years ago, Intel shipped the first Pentium chips, uh, with a, uh, clock speed of 60 megahertz. 60 megahertz. Wow. My gosh, that was smoking fast. Well, that I it mean, was. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, and we're still on the Pentium architecture. I mean, it's not, you know, the eight, the yeah. x86 architecture. I mean, you know, we're still on that. Now it would be the 802086, or I don't know what number we're on, but, you know, the, and they kept Pentium around. Instead of going up to 686, they called it the Pentium 2, and 786 was the 3, and I think right. Pentium 4 was where they dropped it. I think that was the last one. But yeah. yeah, Cyrix Corporation tried to to market that, and they called theirs the 686 chip, and they thought, you know, everybody else knows the 586. We're going to have the 686. Nobody cares, um, right? Yeah. And and Pentium had such, you know, the Blue Man Group uh, gave them such uh, name recognition for Pentium, <laughs> and they're boom, 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 boom. Uh, so they just stuck with Pentium, and they're still called Pentiums, even though Penty is five. And yeah, we we're at, we'd be at least 1186 if we were still doing that probably a lot higher now um but uh, you know now we're in the 64-bit architecture and um and things are are different but we still call them pentiums yeah yeah i have a well mine isn't a pentium anymore now it, now they're they've pretty much dropped the pentium line and they're they're called um they're going with eyes so like the yeah. i5s and the i7s but that's what it took. You know, they had to totally change yeah. the architecture. That what they call that copper mine. I think for a while was what it was, and yep. then um, then they had a different name. Uh, but yep. those were all code names. the The public still called them Pentiums. Um, and even now, yeah. you know, I've I've got the Pentium i seven. I've heard people say that before. Yep. Um, I have too. Yeah. Uh, no, you have an i seven. It's not a Pentium. But uh, <laughs> at this point, it doesn't really matter. What the processor? Every processor out there is more than you need. Oh God, definitely. It's horribly <laughs> overpowered. Okay, so now it's time to talk about a minty operating system that isn't mint. It's peppermint. So it's peppermint. Um, it's not our friends over at Mint OS. It's not uh, uh, Ubuntu driven, or is it? It is peppermint os and chris is going to tell us about his uh week living with peppermint os yeah so mark seth did you i know mark did do it seth did you ever take a chance to look at it or vm it i did not i mean i uh i just kind of did some research on it but nope Uh, i mean i think you would know at this point chris that you do the, the software reviews, Seth does the news, and I just talk about random stuff. That's that's our, our roles on this show. So okay. you, you just stop pretending that, that any of us are actually <laughs> going to do any of your work. Well, I figured I would at least ask because, you know, I, I hate that. I, I, there's some days I wonder why, I, you know, that this is the, uh, the, the crisp part of the show, it seems like, all the time. So I figured I'd at least give you guys a chance. <laughs> now, Thank you. 
I you know now that I've given you my my ob- my obligatory chance, I will go into my spiel. <laughs> uh, so I'll start with a couple with just the simple thing about the install. Uh, the imp- the install is very simple. Uh, looks just like a Mint or an Ubuntu install. Um, you know, five clicks, a couple of tight keystrokes, and you're you're waiting for the slideshow to finish so you have your install done. Uh, very straightforward, very simple. Um, usable desktop for in the live CD mode if you want to go that way. Uh, really can't complain at all about this. It, it's all pretty much cookie cuttered. Um, first, the first looks at it, uh, it, it shows up in a nice, um, I'm a fan of red, so that it comes out with a red desktop with, uh, what looks like a, the old peppermint candy swirl in the corner, which is kind of a neat spin. Uh, a simple, very simple, um, LXDE desktop. So, which is thing, lightweight X11 desktop environment, in case you wonder. Yes. Yes. And it is extremely, quick um they've it's very cut down very very oh i shouldn't say cut down because it's not cut down but it's it's lxde it it's exactly what you need and nothing more now let me jump in here my first experience with peppermint os was a few years ago around the same time as the uh, ubuntu netbook remix uh and peppermint os from conception and still today is designed to be web-centered um uh, it, yes. the, initially when I, I use it again, my, my information is old. The desktop only had like five buttons on it and four of them took you to a website. Uh, so that they were really, it was, it was web docs. It was, uh, um, it was web browsing. It was web, um, mail. Uh, now of course, because it's Linux, you have the ability to do all those things in house, but their idea was to be web centric, uh, with the feel of a desktop. Uh, is that still the way things go? Very much so. Um, actually, that was going to be one of the things I talk about later. They have a program called ICE that they've um, built into this system. And we'll jump into that right now since you brought that up. It's a very straightforward application. And it, what it does is it, you put it the URL that, of the application you want to go to, or the website in this case, uh, in one line. You name it. You then say where you want it in the menu. You give it an icon. And you go. And then you now have a button that shows up, you know, Google apps or, you know, the, the Google web, uh, or not web, but Google mail or Google docs or Google calendar, or, you know, if Netflix worked, you could do that with Netflix because it's the Chrome it seems- web wrapper, the, the Chrome, uh, web app thing. It's, it's not unusual. It's, yep. It's very simple to that. Similar to that. Um, they say there's a little bit difference between what Chrome does for an application, um, t- button and their app and their little program because it integrates with the desktop. So, uh, very similar type of, of thought process. But it hides uh, the address and, bar and takes away yeah. the bookmark toolbar, and you don't know that you're in a, a web page. So, if you wanted to go to um, Picnic, actually, Picnic doesn't exist anymore. If you wanted to go to the Google Plus photo editor, you would get the photo editor without any of indication that you're on a website. Right, all the cruff is gone. Um, it looks like you know, like when I pop up the Google Drive, it looks like a well, it's Google Drive with no extra title bars, no extra anything. It's just the Google Drive. Um, I I like it and I dislike it because it gives people like if the one thing I I dislike about 
they're, the way they've implemented uh, the Google Drive, um, for example, is when you click on to open up one of your documents, it opens up in a new window with the address bar and all the other stuff. So it, it doesn't capsulate it like I, I feel it should. Okay. So that may be something that they're working on. Um, I, I haven't... Well, we'll, I'll touch on that in a minute, but, uh, but other, overall, it's a very slick and speedy system. Um, I love the icons. You know, they're using a very basic icon set, but I, I did not find a single broken icon, which I, I have found before, um, in using other distributions where I'd open up, uh, whatever app, uh, whatever program or like my Dropbox sync. Um, the icons w- would end up being broken or showing the no icon icon. Uh, but I didn't find any of those, uh, which is really nice. I kind of wish they would have bundled in a menu editor into the system because, you know, there's like some of the icon, some of the places that they've, s- they've put like the online user guides and forums under internet. I wish I could move them out of there without having to know how to manipulate LXDE from the from the uh, text file. Really? Uh, you think text editing is a bad thing? No, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying a, a, in a general thought. If you're going to give this to somebody who wants to rearrange their menu items, telling them to do it in a text document is a bad thing. They're, they're, no one's going to do it. They're going to just live with it. Sure. Um, it'd be nice to see that there. Uh, but... All in all, um, it was a really, I, I really loved the experience and I, it might take over my laptop as the primary desktop, but I haven't decided yet. Um, I did notice a couple of apps that are missing that I wish were, would be included into the software manager. Um, there is no handbrake, so you can't put handbrake in without having to go through the hoops of going through adding extra repositories. Um, Skype was noticeably missing. I had to actually go in and turn on the Canonical Partners uh, repository to get to that. Um, so it was just a little bit of things that here and there that were missing that I wish would be um, that would bring this into a more of a complete desktop. Uh, yeah, but again, that fits with their their um, ethos of web centric. Both those things that you just mentioned aren't web centric, uh, and so I can see why they're not there. But the the beauty of it being Ubuntu uh, derivative is you just go get them, right? Well, and you know, like the the handbrake, I can understand. I I, I totally understand handbrake not being available, uh, but to have to know to go turn on Canonical Partners to get Skype is kind of a silly thing, in my personal opinion. Oh, well, you're just supposed um, to use Google Plus. Well. But then we wouldn't be able to do the show, <laughs> you know. Uh, Google Plus and the Google Hangouts and Google Talk, it, it has its moments. But there are some people that aren't drinking the Google Kool Aid, so there is no Skype online presence. There, there's no place to log into Skype and then use a website to do Skype. True. So, um, the, and I'm finding more and more there's a couple other things in, in general that Linux can't do because nobody is writing applications to do it, like uh, Citrix Go to Meeting. There is no Linux connection for that. Um, so I ended up having to virtualize Windows to do that, which kind of got my <laughs> goat a little bit. 
<laughs> that tasted uh, bad in your throat, in your mouth, didn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. I, I had to, to, you know, purge it immediately from my system after the app, after the, the conference is over. Yeah. Try running um, iTunes on it and see what happens. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I refuse. Anyway, um, all in all, I've actually had people sit down in front of Peppermint and use it and see if they like it. And I would say probably 90% of them said that it, it's usable. They they don't see any problem. They understand where everything is, um, which I think is the biggest market, you know, biggest entry to bear for anybody who's not a Linux person. Um, they actually, two of them asked, how can I put it on my machine? Nice. Um, so it, it's nice. Um, they, I, I really like what they've done. Uh, I kind of wish they've at, would add a couple of things, but I understand that, yeah, some of the stuff they're never going to put in here. So any questions, guys? So what I hear you saying is Peppermint OS is a well-behaved, simple desktop like so many others. Um, mm-hmm. The the strength of it is that it stays out of your way. And, and because of that, it seems to me that it would be ideal for lower-powered or older hardware. It would be, um, and I, I've I've tried it on a really low end laptop that Ubuntu can't run on, and and Mint kind of runs on, and Peppermint flies on, so it's going to stay on that one for sure. So um, I could see using uh, uh, Peppermint OS in like a kiosk situation, where you want the user to have limited in interaction on a dumb box. Um, uh, just not. Okay. I don't know that that's something that a lot of people are going to do. But my experience with Peppermint OS previously and what you're describing today seems like that would be a good place for it. Not that it's not good uh, for a regular daily driver, but there aren't a lot of things that fit that kiosk space. And having everything configurable um, by you know remote text entry, for example, and it pops a new icon up. If you got a, a touch screen or even uh, you know, a mouse driven remote kiosk where you want to direct people to one or two things like a, a you know, a, a welcome station or something like that. Sounds like a good choice. Yeah. You wouldn't need, because it wouldn't need the extra hardware. Um, the only other thing I really like, well, I, I, like I said, the biggest thing, my biggest complaint about this particular OS is the lack of customizing. Um, yep. you get what it is and that's about all you get. It does have a little bit of, of, pretty turned on so was well, that lxde's fault or is that peppermint's fault it's peppermint because like anyone everywhere else you get the lxde uh, menu manager so you can manage your your icons or your your categorizing uh without having to edit the text file uh that's for you know for a, a, a power user like myself it's not a big deal um i fixed my icons and, me- and reshuffled my menu without a problem but when I sat this in front of two, my two other testers, that was the first thing they asked is, how can I move this? Because they like to sort their, their menu different than what's the default. Um, and I said they had to go ahead and edit, uh, edit a text file. And they said, next, please. And that, that, was the, that was their kill thing. They were like, nope, I don't even want to play with a text file. So, um but once they got past the text file part and they started actually just using it, they got some things in here that are turned on by default that none of the other LXDE distros have, like the snap to a side. Um, that's something I use every day. And you never realize how much you miss it until you don't have it. And to have it turned on by default in Peppermint is nice. 
there's a lot of little things that they have turned on um, that make it a really usable and a nice experience. So I would definitely say if you're looking for a lightweight desktop, this might take over for the Lubuntu crowd. You guys would be, you should be worried about Peppermint. LMNOP in the chat room says, I saw on the Peppermint website that Ike Doherty of Solus OS is now listed as the developer, uh, as a developer. So uh, ah. if you were a friend of, uh, a lover of Solus, um, you may you may be getting a little more, a little more Solus in your Peppermint. Which wouldn't be a bad thing. I think they would do really good um, learning from each other. Um, it'll be really interesting in, say, I don't, I don't remember what the timeline was, but for when um, LXDE and was it Razor QT, when they actually finish their their merge to see what happens to this to Peppermint in any of the LXDE um, environments, uh, it'll be. I'm curious to find out. That's when when that happens. When Razor and, and LXD LXM LXDE finish their merger. I think we're going to see a really robust desktop that will challenge GNOME 3, Unity, and, and KDE. Uh, I have a feeling that's that's what's going to happen. That's good, because I was thinking the other day how there really wasn't enough choice available in the Linux desktop front. So, always good to hear that. <laughs> well, so, it's it's a challenge and a good thing, though, Seth, because... My biggest complaint about, say, GNOME and KDE and XFCE is they always seem to be a little bloated. They, uh, they never seem to have all the pieces that I want. And so I always end up having to, like, I really dislike the, the terminal command in both GNOME, KDE, and XFCE. I hate their terminal. Uh, it just drives me crazy. But LXD, the LX terminal is a nice terminal. And so is the one that's built in with Razor. So I think once they start meshing and getting all of their bits and pieces together, um, all the minimalists out there are going to look at that and go, yep, we're not going to go anywhere near XFCE or any of the turned down versions of GNOME, GNOME 2, uh, uh Mate. They're going to turn away from those and go to, to the LXDE Razor thing when it gets done. LMNOP in the chat room says again that uh, the CTO CTO was formerly on Mint LXD before they stopped producing that version. So uh, the two Mints came together a little bit there. So sounds like LXDE is is sort of gathering in the orphans. <laughs> it could be. It, it very well could be. Um, now it'd be interesting to see what happens when. Uh, I wonder who LMNOP is that's in the chat room. <laughs> and no, I didn't. We did not cover that the CTO was formerly of uh, Mint LXDE. Uh, so, Chris, uh, scale of one to ten, uh, ten being uh, uh, the command line Nirvana that is an SSH session, and uh, one being <laughs> Vista. Uh, where does Peppermint Ooh. OS fall? Oh, that's that's a really deep cut there. For, Wait a minute, for I think one would one. be Mac uh, OS X ten. <laughs> 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 I like how you said both X and 10, just to make everybody happy. OS X 10. Or yes. MAD, one of the two. <laughs> or both. Um, I would rate Cinnamon, at, or not, yeah, of, of not Cinnamon, but um, Peppermint. Peppermint. The other candy. 
yeah, the other the other yummy candy that I love to eat. Um, I would put peppermint in there at probably a good solid eight. Nice. Okay. Uh, it, there there is possibilities of it taking over one of my desktop, one of my my machines as the primary desktop. Let's put it that way. Okay. Nice. Uh, all right. I don't have anything else to say. Chris, Seth, what, what about you? I mean, Chris, Yay, you said peppermint. it. All. Seth, you got anything? Yay, yeah, peppermint. Go, go, go peppermint. Um, um, I'm sure soon it'll be sporked um, in, uh, forked into spearmint and double mint. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm still waiting to hear back from the CTO. Um, I, I text, I, I hit him up again over on uh, Twitter, mo, um, a, a Twitter at um, a reply to see if he has had a chance yet to see about coming onto the show. Uh, the last I heard from him was on the 16th, and he said he'll check out the show and and get back to me. So, yeah. So, um, he's yeah. Still at- Once people check out the show, that pretty much ends any possibility that they'll come <laughs> on it. Well, we, I can yeah. still hope and still ask and still poke, or maybe I'll ask him if he wants to send somebody else. There you go. I think once we get, I, the I would 200s, really like to hear from one of them. Yeah, I think once we get into the two hundreds, <laughs> they'll they'll realize maybe, hey, you know that they've got up, they've got two hundred shows, so you know maybe, uh, maybe they're not as bad as we think they are, or something. Yeah, if 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 he uh, started with episode one, he's going to put your uh, caller ID on block, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, you know, and the other thing that I thought about doing is reaching out to Plex because we, you know, Mark and I have been been drooling over Plex, so maybe we can get Plex to come on the show and talk to us about how they use Linux in their systems. Yeah, that'll be uh, my my next my next message will be probably to Plex. Cool, and guys, just in case you you haven't known, I'm just gonna to come clear here. Chris and Seth have been running the show for like the last two years. I, I used to. I don't anymore. I produce it. I package it. I publish it. They do everything else. So um, if if there's a guest that you want on or whatever, uh, those guys are going to do it. Uh, and and I thank them for it. I appreciate the the hard work that uh, that they put into it. I just uh, I, I actually it was right around two years ago exactly. I, I sent Chris an email and said I can't do this anymore. You you got to step up. And to his credit, he did that very thing. And so the first, uh, you know, 80 episodes or so were, were all me. And since then, it's been all these guys. So there you go. Well, thanks, Mark. But it wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. Well, yeah, as evidenced by a couple of weeks ago. Um, so let's move on now to our, um, um, you know, the section is still called Tips of the Week. It stopped being a tip a long time ago. So I'm going to just call this Seth Stuff. What do you got, Seth? Okay. Well, I wanted to uh, tie in with my uh, This Week in History. So I busted out some Weird Al all about the Pentiums. Uh, this is a link to the YouTube video. Um, it's Weird Al all about the Pentiums. This is on his site, so this isn't some fan ripped it off and stuck it up on YouTube. He has a YouTube channel. He puts some of his songs up there. Uh I just, I love this song. I did not hear about it. The first time I actually heard this song was when I was working for you in Honey Grove. I came across it, uh, on Yahoo radio, actually. Um, so we were, you see, what's past- so dangerous about this link, Seth, is that some unsuspecting person 
could spend the next eight hours in the the video list down the side right because <laughs> you know it's all these related videos and each one takes you to a bunch more related videos and Al weird al has such a huge body of work and you know 90 percent of it is gold uh you've you've just doomed people to a lack of productivity yet again well remember my well, it, uh, my sub motive for doing this is to make everybody else appear <laughs> lazy and unproductive so i appear like a better job choice <laughs> hire for them so uh this is there part 78 in my plan of world domination but it's all about the pentiums i just love this song uh like i say it just it's it's a great song i i someday in my life i want to interview weird al yankovic he is so oh, amazingly awesome. talented yes he um, is and his band can play any song at any speed polka style just name a song and they'll do it they're amazing <laughs> You should reach out, Mark. See if you could get him to come on the show. Uh, you never know. know. Yeah, he would. He, <laughs> Everyday Linux. <laughs> I follow could you him. Imagine on, what that show would be like. Oh, I follow God. him on Twitter, and every now and then he'll post something that says, "For the next forty-five minutes, I'll be at this airport payphone," and puts the phone number up. And you know, you just call and chat with Weird Al until his plane arrives. Um, <laughs> he's awesome. Like I didn't know he did that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, his tweets, his tweets must get buried in my stream because I miss it. Then he doesn't tweet a lot, but uh, you know, every now and then he'll put that up there. And I've never been able to to been in a spot where I could call him, but I would love to just chat with Weird Al. Um, and I'd, of course, I'd ask you if I could record it, um, and that would be our little impromptu interview. I bet he's never given a straight answer to a question in his life. It, he looks a, <laughs> my oldest brother and him look a lot alike. They really do. Um, so. Oh, Seth, Seth, I love and hate you right now because I have just added that channel to my YouTube subscription (laughs) list and I'll be wasting my days listening to Weird Al because he is one of my all-time favorite um, artists, period, bar none. It's all about the Pentiums, baby. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Seth's, uh, I'm going to call change that section to Seth's Productivity Killer of the week uh so there you go all about the pentiums and this show is all about whatever the heck we want to talk about uh but not only that whatever the heck you want to talk about how do you let us know what you want to talk about you go to elementop.com you click the contact us button at the top of the page and i'm gesticulating wildly and i don't know why because this is an audio podcast and only three people will ever see this um (laughs) You click the contact us button at the top of the page. You fill out the little form. You hit enter after answering uh, answering the incredibly difficult captcha question, and <laughs> that responds. That sends it straight to me. And and as you've seen right here on the show, we do listen and we 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 uh, we play and we read and we answer your feedback because it's important to us. Uh, we 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 do this for you. Um, I mean, we could get together and uh, and talk for a couple of hours every week without all the hassle of recording and producing it. We do this for you, and uh, we want to know what you think. So the way to do that is go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button. If you're not a web form kind of guy and you just insist on sending an email, that's fine too, edl at elementop.com. Or if, like Elisha, you want your voice to be on the show in your own resonant tones, you can call us anywhere in North America at 559-IMOP or go to our website, use the Leave Us a Voicemail widget, and Google Voice will call you. It's not psychic. You have to put in your phone number. Uh, but you do that, Google Voice calls you, and you leave a voicemail. By the way, the caption that I just got up, the question was, what plant grows in a cotton field? So if you can answer that question, you can leave us <laughs> feedback. 
I bet mustard um, would grow it. if it got loose. It probably would. Yeah. In in my cotton fields, weeds uh, would grow. Um, that's the way it always works. Um, where I'm from, I'm I'm from the land of cotton, and uh, anything will grow in a cotton field down there. You could plant a rock, and it would grow a rock tree. It's the most fertile soil on the planet. Um, huh. But anyway, I think the right answer might be cotton. Try it. Let's just see. Um, that's it. I got nothing else. Chris, Seth, any last words of wisdom before we say goodnight? Sure, I got nope. one. All right. Pseudo, send us feedback. Ah, yes. So says the command line godfather. And I will Pseudo, say the only good feedback. reason to ever run with uh, iTunes is to go to the uh, to find our show on iTunes and leave us a rating and review. That's the one and only reason that you should ever run iTunes. Do that and then burn the computer that you put iTunes on. You know, Mark, um, I can't believe we didn't talk about elementop.com slash Amazon this week. Just, well, what would we say about elementop.com slash Amazon, Seth? I don't know. I had a hard time trying to think of ways to work in elementop.com slash Amazon into any of the <laughs> topics we discussed. But if we go to elementop.com slash Amazon, what happens? Well, Mark, if you were to go to a browser and pull up elementop.com slash Amazon, it would take you to amazon.com where you could do any of your regular purchases. Um, if you wanted to buy spare parts to a 777 from Boeing, so yours wouldn't get lost over the, you know, um, your experience you would be exactly thing. the same, but we would get a couple of bucks. And so, you know, if you want to buy a house or a Maserati or a couple of dozen Porsches, uh, we might make a couple of bucks off of that. Uh, elementopies.com slash Amazon for all your shopping needs. Chris, could you think of a way to work that in the show? Uh, let's see. What's the next holiday coming up? We have what? Mother's Day? When you go to buy your, or Easter, Easter, yeah, Easter. Buy all your Easter eggs at elementopies.com slash Amazon. I recently became a Prime member. After years of shopping at Amazon, they finally sucked me into Prime and I'm kicking myself for not doing it sooner. It's 80 bucks a year. They're now going up to a hundred bucks a year. I'm totally fine with that. Um, uh, the first three items I bought, the shipping paid for itself, uh, in that. So you get free second day shipping. Or uh, overnight shipping for like six bucks. Um, why would you not do that? Plus, you get yeah. the Amazon Prime um, uh, video, Amazon Video. You get all those sort of things. The streaming. It's uh, not quite as good as Netflix, but it's getting there. Um, and so, yeah, and the books uh, and, and the I, books. The books sold it for me personally. Okay. When I, uh, you know, the shipping was the start. The videos were nice, but once I had my Kindle and I started looking at the Amazon um, Lending Bookshare, yeah. Yeah, the lending library. You get a free book every month. What? Wow! Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, the like in in Element OP or Element OP in the chat room says that Prime doesn't stream anymore to Linux. I know it's a big pain in my yeah. guess. There's a couple of workarounds you can still do. Um, and if I can find the links, I'll put them up. In, I'll put them in the forums. But they're far from working. At least in a Fedora desktop, they don't. Um, I'm hopefully I'm still poking my rep in telling him that I want my Prime back in my Linux desktop. We'll see if maybe if enough of us yell, maybe we'll get something. A darn DRM. I, I, what I'm waiting. They need to have an audiobook lending library because um, I have just been oh, so sucked in to Audible lately. Um, 
my podcast listening has fallen off because I keep downloading books. And they, they send me an email every day uh, for a deal of the day, and it's you know anywhere between a dollar and four dollars. And ninety percent of them I don't care, but I get three hundred sixty five of them a year. So even at ninety percent, that's thirty extra books a year that I'm buying, and it's just it's making me nuts. <laughs> Um, I just uh, I just downloaded uh, today for two dollars uh, the original H.G. Wells World of the Worlds. I've seen the movies. Wow. I've never read the book. So now and now when I'm stuck in traffic in Atlanta for two and a half hours, uh, World of the Worlds will be will be what I'll be listening to. That's a good one. I've I've listened to that one a couple of times. I had it for a long time. The audiobook version. Um, I had a copy of one of them. Um, I don't know where it went in my. With my crashes the last couple of years, I, I think I might have lost it. But I have a friend I at work who recently told me that she has over 1,100 books on CD. And at any point, I'm welcome to, to browse her library. So uh, the, wow. the, once the audiobook bug bit me, it bit me hard. Ooh, yeah, no kidding. All right, yeah, enough I, about I, that because we don't make any money off of audible.com unless they'd like to buy an ad. That would be awesome. But we do make money off of elementopi.com slash Amazon. Not a lot, but hey, uh, I, I did my taxes. They sent me a form. You guys paid me uh, $3,000 last year um, in your amazon.com stuff. Awesome. Thanks cool. for that. I mean, that's that covers all the costs of the show, uh, all the hosting, all the uh, all the even the hard drives that I had to buy and puts a little money in my pocket. So Awesome. Thanks for that, guys. Uh, and it didn't cost anybody who did that anything extra. All they had to do was uh, uh, change a bookmark in the browser. So, cool. Awesome. Now, we just need to find a way to get it to work on my tablet. Yeah. So that way, when I hit the Amazon tablet, I can hit the ref- I can give a referral through yeah. the tablet. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to work at all on mobile. Yep. Okay. Enough about that. I'm just going to call it. That ends this show, folks. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening. Uh, we had a, a you know handful of people live, and a couple of people chimed in the chat room. That is awesome, uh, and we certainly appreciate it. And uh, again, you're the reason we do this. We'll see you next week, everybody. Chris, Seth, thanks for being the the excellent co-host that you are. And that ends this episode of Every.